Hello and welcome to the Oxygenatic Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so you can perform at your best. With 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel with the code OA23 at PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Coach Rob Wilby, and every week we bring you an episode of this podcast to help motivate and inspire you. Do me a favor. If you are listening on podcast, head on over to YouTube, like and subscribe our YouTube channel over there. We're putting these podcast interviews out these days on YouTube as well, and we're managing to reach loads more people. We've been amazed by how many people are actually watching a podcast on YouTube. It's, I guess it's just another media for people to watch us on, but our download numbers are almost doubling through the impact that YouTube's having. So, If you could do us a favor, if you could go over and like the episode and subscribe on YouTube, that helps us appear in, you know, the algorithm of YouTube and all of that, which helps us appear to more people and helps more people out. That'd be a brilliant help. Thank you. This week, we have a couple of things for you. First up, we have um, an update from Julie, who's the winner of our Win Some Winner Coaching Package up to Ironman UK. She's done her first month of training and she's got some insights and and essentially a diary of her training so that's great you get to hear how her month has worked out after that coach chris and i start to dive into how you can improve your swimming for ironman and 70.3 it's going to be a two-parter this one we really got into it this week i loved recording with him we ended up going for 45 50 minutes and we've got more of that to come next week as well so we've got part one of the how to improve your swimming. And and most importantly, the takeaway from this is going to be how to become a calmer and more confident swimmer. It's a lot less about technical advice and much more about the, the mindset shifts that you can have that are going to allow you to become a calmer, more confident, more efficient swimmer before we even worry about making you a faster swimmer. Before we go on to these episodes, though, let's give a shout out to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. You can use their free fuel and hydration planning tool to receive a personalized strategy for your next race. The planner will help you understand your own carbohydrate, electrolytes and fluid needs so you can refine your strategy during training. You can book a free one-to-one video consultation with PFNH's athlete support team and they'll be happy to help you nail your race nutrition plan, which will help you perform even better on the day. I'm a massive fan of precision fuel and hydration. I believe that getting the electrolytes right for most people who are doing middle and long distance is an absolutely essential part of your performing on race day and performing well in training. It's as essential for race day as having done the correct amount of training itself. Andy Blow and the team over at Precision Fuel and Hydration have been at the forefront of this. They've been, they've been pushing the importance of electrolytes towards staying hydrated for years before I was even doing the podcast, and it's brilliant to get to work with them. And now they've expanded to be offering chews, gels, carbohydrate drink mixes as well. They're just going places. They're now working with pro tour cycling teams as well. So you see them at the Tour de France. They've been sponsoring the PTO World Tour and the Triathlon Tour level. So you'll be seeing them everywhere. There's a reason that this company is growing. And I believe it's because they're the best in the business. So and head over to precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use the code OA23 for 15% off your first order of electrolytes and carbohydrate fuel. Okay, so first up this week, we're going to go over for an update from Julie. 
Julie is training for Ironman UK. She was the winner of our winner training and coaching package for Ironman UK that we did in collaboration with Ironman Europe. She's now completed her first month of training with us. So we've got an update from her on how it's all gone. Julie, welcome back onto the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's great to get you back on. You're the winner of our competition to get training and coaching all the way up to Ironman UK. And this is effectively our end of month one wrap up. So I'm I'm hoping that we're going to hear that you've had a good experience and we've not completely ruined you in month one. So how are you? Give Give us a quick update over your training in month one. I'm really well, actually. Yeah, really well. I have thoroughly enjoyed month one. You'll be pleased to hear. Oh, that's um, good to hear. Yeah, it is really good. I am. Um, I really like that having a plan and knowing what's coming next, and you know, knowing that my week has a structure to it when it comes to training because my week has structure to it with everything else that's going on. So that fits in really nicely. And because I know how long I've got to do each session for, I can fit it in around all the other structures. Um, which works well and uh, for my family for some reason uh, a 5 30 a.m start seems to be the best time for me to do all my workouts so uh, that's been kind of fun starting a FTP bike sessions at 5 30 in the morning so but you're a, you're an early riser are you is that the, am, is that the niche you found that works really well for you it seems to be working really well especially because we've got to I've got to fit it in with work which I do during the day and also my husband he's training for a big bike ride in the summer as well so he needs time to do his workout and fit that around his work and the kids as well. So I, I, I got the, the early starts, which actually works really well for me. Um, I, I quite enjoy getting it, getting it done when I'm, you know, I don't mind waking up early and, and getting, getting down to business. I think there are probably a lot of people nodding along right now who are training for an Ironman in the summer. And it's, it's the reality of trying to balance the things you want to do with the things you have to do with your responsibilities with family and and job and and just finding the time to do it so i think yeah. you've done really well month one it's hard to get up and train really early when it's still dark outside but you'll tend to see that as the spring comes around and the mornings get lighter it's actually a really great time of day to be up yes and you know you feel like you're up when no one else is up and around and especially when you can get out for your rides outdoors and do those early early before you know your, your work day I think yeah, I really enjoy absolutely. that there's been a few frozen eyelashes <laughs> on a couple <laughs> of the runs but you know it's all part of the experience and you know I love it I enjoy it so it's good 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 stuff so first up then I know the thing you were most nervous about was your was your bike training essentially how has that been for you in month one so Last year when I was training for the half distance, uh, all my bike training was just zoned to, you know, nothing hard, no FTP sets, just zoned to get into that sort of endurance, build up the distance, build up the time. So what's been different this time is that two out of the three sessions of the bike that we do a week, two of them are sort of FTP level based sessions and one is a longer endurance ride. And those FTP sessions, they bite, <laughs> they hurt. But I, I, you know, I'm not afraid of of putting my body through through that and, and giving it a go. Uh, and it's been really interesting to to see how those sessions have progressed over the month. Um, so they've increased. You know, each little FTP block has sort of increased in in time. 
or each step up has increased in time. And it's been good to see that I can actually do it, which I didn't think I would be able to at the beginning. So that was really nice. But also to listen to my, I don't know, my own inner voice, if you will, um, when I'm working through these sets. And if you're doing like five lots of six minutes at FTP and the first few are fine, you get to the last one and you've really got to like battle with your own inner devil or whatever it is that's that's there telling you you can't finish it and I'm like no I can do this just one more bit just one more bit you could do it you can push it through and um yeah it's just been interesting to to listen to myself in a way and then the long rides most of them were I was sad to say on on Zwift on on the bike but that was you know balancing having the kids at home it being really cold outside and I yeah, don't, it's been really icy it's been hasn't really it, in the UK icy. this last yeah. month and I'm quite a nervous road cyclist I think anyway. done exactly the right thing so, yeah it's yeah, got to be safety absolutely. first and yeah so that so that was fine although tedious but fine um you know yeah. again 5 a.m start get it done by 7 30 so that the kids can all go off and do their sports on Saturday mornings um you know and you get it done and you do it and that's fine you sort of grin and bear it um but then last week, not even last week, yeah, last week, three days ago, I did my very first outdoor ride and it was so wonderful. I was so happy. Um, it wasn't fast. It wasn't hard. Uh, it was just the fact that I was outside was just glorious. Absolutely wonderful. It, it made a whole world of difference in that two hour, 45 minutes. It flew by, flew by. Interesting. It was so nice. Yeah. Have you got a sense yet of how your riding is feeling after you know you're only four weeks in but you're eight eight focused interval sessions in are you starting to notice a difference in how your body feels on and that's not a loaded question if if not yet that's fine but how is your sense of yourself on your bike to be honest I haven't noticed anything majorly different I think the only thing that really surprised me was when I went out on a real bike ride yesterday um and this might just be a malfunction on my watch more than anything else is that when I was in aero on a flat and I was not pushing it hard but we were cycling at a reasonable pace and I was trying to get my heart rate up higher to be in the zone two even though I was already what felt like going quite fast so but my heart rate kept dropping to like rest <laughs> and zone, right, like, okay. under zone one and I was like oh okay we got to pick up the pace a little bit and Reese was like really <laughs> sure and I was like yeah yeah so but I don't know if that was a malfunction or, or I'm just you know my heart rate is and my effort levels for that particular heart rate have changed how did it feel as you were riding outdoors did it feel easier than you were it expecting did, yeah, yeah 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 okay on the flats it was super easy it was lovely it was wonderful but then when you put a cap on the hill riding as well that's a little bit harder and I was like if I go any slower I'm either going to fall off or go down the hill backwards so it was it's quite hard to balance that yeah, but you know, I think it's a, a learning curve. It's my first ride outside uh, since September last year when I'm actually looking at this, you know, statistic. And I don't have a power meter on my bike, so I'm I'm working with what I've got. Um, so we'll see we'll see how it goes. But you know, the bike it felt good, and I enjoyed it. And for me, at the moment, that's what really mattered is that I felt good. The only bit I didn't like was going downhill. <laughs> I've got to work <laughs> on that. I'm. Uh, I'm a very nervous downhill cyclist. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just practice, practice. Like some of the other Oxygen Addict teammates have said, you know, you just got to get out there and, and, and do it. Um, yeah. So. Well, I think for now, you've, you've got to bear in mind, 
the purpose of this is kind of building an engine, building the fitness. As you transition to all of your rides being outdoors when the weather gets nicer, I think that skill-based element of being more comfortable going downhill will naturally progress. And you're right, it is something that's going to be a a very real thing for people doing, especially Ironman UK and courses like that, where there's lots of descents, corners. The skill of riding the bike is something that will develop only through the outdoor bike rides. It's it's almost like yeah. the classic thing with Lionel Sanders talking about you can have the biggest FTP in the world on Swift, but if you can't control that power outdoors, it really isn't very much yeah, use to you. Exactly. So that'll come later on in your plan, but it's great that you're feeling firstly, it's great that you're so enthusiastic about it still, month one in, that the structure's yeah. working for you and, and you're feeling good on your first outdoor ride. And I think that's that's all we can hope for at this stage, yes. which is no, brilliant. It's been really good. I've 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 enjoyed it so far, the cycling. So that's good. Good. Running apart from the frozen eyelashes, how have you felt on your runs? It's surprisingly good, actually. So last year when I was training for the marathon in November, I was doing all my run, like all the slow runs were about 45 seconds slower than what I'm doing them at now. Um, and actually the pace that I'm running, this, this e-pace that I'm using for the runs at the moment, feels a lot more comfortable now than it did at the beginning of the month just because I wasn't used to it um, yeah. I haven't had a chance to look into the stats and see if my heart rate levels have changed or anything but it's been quite cold and windy so that's going to have an impact on it all um, but yeah the r- runs feel really strong and I think part of the reason is that I've been very religious about doing my strength and conditioning stuff which I didn't last year so um and and I felt the difference in the running it just feels so much smoother and so much easier and so much stronger um that that is like that's a major change for me so that's brilliant I'm going to stick with it so I'm really happy with that awesome oh that's great to hear it sounds like things are things are really positive what's been the what's been the biggest thing that surprised you over the last month um so one was the strength and conditioning and the impact that it had just because it's so obvious um, in making my running a lot smoother. Um, the other one was uh, when we when we first chatted and you were like, all your long runs are going to be nine minute run, one minute walk, nine minute run, one minute walk. And I was like, oh, are you sure about that? That doesn't seem like I'm going to. But actually, I surprised myself, A, because I really love it. <laughs> I really like doing nine minutes run, one minute walk. But also it feels it feels really good. Um, and the next day I'm fine. I mean, I haven't done anything over like an hour and 15 yet. But I, I know now that I've done that, I know that when it gets to the longer runs, it's not going to be a problem at all. Um, and I actually really, really like it. It feels really nice. Great. That, that combination of enjoyment and confidence I think is is really important the sense that you can see that as your runs are going to get longer you're still going to be able to recover yeah. from them the day after and as long as we can keep balancing that daily and weekly training load so by the start of the next week after a recovery day you feel as though you're good to go again yeah. then I'm a happy coach I'm Great. happy you keep smiling <laughs> you keep getting it done there'll, there'll come a point I think later on in the plan where we where we've increased the volume to the point where you're going to want to swear at me a little bit. Okay. But that's okay. As long as we can push that down the road by a couple of months, that's great. Uh, yeah. No, that's good. The other, the other thing that I've noticed that I think, I don't know if you will think this is positive, but I think it's positive. So Mondays is supposed to be a, a recovery day. 
but Monday is also one of my main swimming sessions and I swim with the local club uh with the Woking Swimming Club and I love I love swimming with them they're a great bunch but that I'm also one of those swimmers that's not very good at taking it easy when coach puts a hard set on the board um and I know that that attitude is going to have to change as we go further down the year but what I've noticed is that even if I do end up doing quite a hard set on a Monday morning I'm still managing to hit all the target power and FTP and running paces throughout the rest of the week without any, you know, negative impact, shall we say? Yeah. Um, which made me feel quite good, uh, even though yeah. I probably shouldn't be doing that. So sorry. But yay. <laughs> well, I think the key is look, the, the recovery day, the focus of it is are you recovered enough so that the next week you can train with no impact? So for someone like yourself with like a, an international level swim background, you have got a really good sense of how your body feels and how you recover. That's brilliant. And it also means you've got a choice of what speeds to swim at. Yeah. Whereas with a, a an athlete perhaps who's just come to swimming as an adult to try and train for the first Ironman, just putting swimming costumes on is going to be stressful for them, <laughs> let alone getting in the water. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and if, if an athlete's in the point where they can't choose to swim easy and every swim is by its nature, it's a battle. They're better not swimming than even trying to do a recovery swim. But yeah. for you, I'd say while you're still feeling like this, great. Keep on doing those swims and keep enjoying them. And if there comes a tipping point where you think one week, actually, do you know what? I'm yeah. I'm too tired by Wednesday. Then the next week you have to make that judgment on whether yeah. You know, the swim yeah, is exactly. a is a club swim, is it a recovery swim, is it a rest day? Yeah. But at least you're really good at knowing how you feel and how you recover and you know, you can make a judgment on all those things. Yeah. So I'm a happy coach with all of oh, that. Oh good. Oh good. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's going really well so far. Yeah, I'm really pleased. Last question then. Go on then. What is something that you maybe maybe you thought before you started training with us or a commonly held belief with a with a triathlete that has turned out not to be true after month one of training this is a really hard question because <laughs> because like a school exam yeah well I found it really hard to answer because like I don't really have a huge network of triathletes before I came into this with this coach coaching thing that I, I've I've managed to get. So I don't really have any like idea of what commonly held beliefs there are. Um, you know, so for me, the biggest change personally is that you know all the runs are easy, which is uh, which I never thought it would be. Um, and and as a, that's a big yay for me, um, yeah. and that you know, and that I'm going to have to dial down the swimming a bit, which is fine, um, you know, as time goes on. That's okay. But other than that, I can I can't really think. No, of that, I think that's, that's that's it. Doesn't need to be loads of things. I think the fact that what I'm trying to get across to people is it is a really common element that people come in and go, well, I, I assume training for Ironman is going to be hard. I'm going to essentially get beasted all the time. Oh no, and I it, knew it wasn't going to be like that because, because I'd done the half distance last yeah, year and I knew a lot of that training was just zone two, you know, just long and slow. So I guess comparing to that, the fact that you have thrown in some really like hard bike sessions that has actually been a big change now you mentioned yeah. that so you know that has been 
a big change as well. So the fact that not all the cycling is just zone two, there's a yeah. lot of like hard graft going on on the bike. And that is where I'm going to build all my strength. Um, mm. But yeah, there you go. So that I think those are my two big. Yeah. Two Bikes big harder than you thought they were going to be. Yes. Certainly at this point in your plan and runs easier and more enjoyable it sounds like yes <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> great a great stuff summary. that sounds like a great summary. all right brilliant well listen that's a that's a great wrap-up of month one for you thanks for joining us and um i look forward to hearing and sharing your story at the end of month two with everybody right. as well let's hope i've got some more updates to give you <laughs> great thanks very much julie thank you take care bye great to hear there from Julie that you know firstly she's been so surprised by how much she's enjoying the easy running and the 9-1 runs and how polarized that is against her previous experience of all her rides having been you know easy zone two rides really getting her to do some quality targeted threshold building work on the bike at this time of the year I think is going to move her performance to the next level and when she gets onto the hills via Man UK this coming summer I think she's going to be an absolute axe on the bike and her overall fitness from a swimming background is already taking care of a lot of the aerobic development I think that a different stimulus with the FTP work at this time of year is really going to move her cycling on to the next level so tune in again in another month to hear the next update from her at the end of her month too with us and if you've liked what you've heard there with how we're working with Julie and the effect it's having on her fitness, if you're thinking about getting some training and coaching for the coming season, please get in touch. There's a link in the show notes that can book a call straight to my calendar. We can have a chat about how joining Team Oxygenatic for training and coaching might well be able to help you have the season of your life this year. I think we've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers. And I think our record of working with extremely busy age groupers speaks for itself at this point. So please get in contact if you'd like to have a chat with us. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to have a chat about how we can help you achieve what you want to achieve this coming season. Okay, so on to this week's Coach's Couch main interview, me and Coach Chris Palfreyman discussing how you can become a calmer, more confident, more efficient swimmer. And this is aimed directly at people taking part in middle and long distance, 70.3 and Ironman. But I believe it's going to help out anybody who is taking part in swims as part of any duration of triathlon this coming year. Today, I'm joined again by Coach Chris Palferman. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you today? Good afternoon, Rob. Yes, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, today we're going to be discussing ways that you can improve your swimming and specifically ways you can improve your swimming so that you can swim an Ironman distance, 3.8 kilometers, feeling more calm and feeling more confident. I ideally want, Chris, in this episode, people going away thinking, I've got strategy now that I can go away and by race day, I'm going to be 100% confident and confident in the fact I'm going to be feeling really calm in the water come race day. We are going to talk about training. We are going to talk about drills. We are going to talk about all the tips and techniques that we have along the way. But this is the first and the most important message I want to pass over to people that are listening. The best thing that you can have come any triathlon distance race day in the water is a feeling of total calm and a feeling of real confidence that A, you're going to complete the swim 
without massive amounts of anxiety coming over your head as you're swimming. And that B, you've got a rough idea of how long that that swim is going to take you, whether you're a person who is fighting the cutoff or a person who is, I don't know, swimming 50, 55 minutes for the distance. Feeling calm and confidence in your ability to do that, I think, is the absolute key. And that's the framework that we're going to have this whole conversation around. That sounds brilliant. I think this, um, hopefully, well, it's exactly the kind of podcast that I would have been looking for and that would have been really useful to me, you know, a few years back when I was trying to improve my swimming. And I think every athlete at this point can improve their swimming, as you were saying, doesn't matter if they're 50 minutes or fighting for the cutoff. Every swimmer, every athlete has had that experience where it becomes uncomfortable in the water. And so we need to approach that first before we even think about how quickly we can do our CSS test or our 100s. So I, I'm looking forward to this one. It's uh, yeah. it's a very complicated one as well. And so I think yeah. the listeners need to be a little bit patient with this subject. Swimming is a frustrating sport, but it's also what fascinates us. So hopefully by the end of it, people can walk away and, well, swim away and um, yeah, feel more confident with what they're doing. That's, I think it's absolutely the key part for every swimmer at every level, bar the very, very top pros and age groupers. And even some of them, if you think back to some of the episodes we've had, suffering anxiety around swimming isn't just limited to slower swimmers. I know some really good swimmers who've competed at a pro level have been under 50 minutes for the Ironman distance and have had panic attacks in the water and it's completely ruined their races. So it isn't about often being a good swimmer or not. It's about learning to deal with those anxieties. And if we can get our head around those anxieties, all the rest of it is going to fall into place. So the first thing I want to start this with is by saying for 99% of the people on Ironman race day, the swim is not a race. We're not racing people. We're not trying to go as fast as we can. And it's important to stress that because the not racing it part of it puts you in a very different mindset to if you are racing. So again, the bigger context here is you've got between, for most people, an hour and two hours in the water as a warm-up to between five and eight hours on the bike, and then between, what, three and seven hours on the run. Trying really, really hard and being in the mindset of going, I must go as fast as I can, is not going to help almost anybody in that 99% with the rest of their day. So that's the really important takeaway here. The feeling calm, feeling confident, feeling relaxed. That's how most people need to be in their heads. And that's what we're going to start by talking about today. Perfect. Yeah, good. All right. So let's start off then today. Let's have a little chat, you and me, about our experiences as people who came into swimming later in life because neither of us were swimmers when we came into the sport were we and well you much more so than me but we both got pretty good at it and so I think that gives us a unique understanding that maybe I don't know if you are an ex-Olympic swimmer who swam twice a day from the age of seven I think you were a very good swimmer from the age of eight and you were trained your little tail off the whole time through. Doesn't, in my experience of the coaches that helped me in the early days, didn't make for the most understanding and compassionate coach to help somebody who had come in from a biking or running background, was quite fit, 
absolutely clueless to how to apply that fitness into the water to make any kind of forward progress. Yeah, totally. It's um, it's a very different world to the world of swimming. And however good you are on the bike, however good you are on the run, doesn't usually translate into being good in the water. And that's personally what fascinated me because I felt as if I could get aerobically fit on the bike and run and I could kind of match anyone in my so circle of friends and training athletes but as soon as you throw me in the water i'm the furthest away from the fast lane and i've got this you know anxiety around can i do 400 meters can i do 200 meters and that's in a confined swimming pool if you then throw me into the ocean or into a big lake it's a totally it's very uncomfortable and actually mm. if you can challenge yourself to being comfortable within that uncomfortable environment it's a very very fulfilling process to go through it's a life skill and it's it's something that to me fascinates me because it's not just about how much effort you put into it and how hard you work at it it's something slightly different it's a kind of a fine art it's a fine motor skill process it's every element has a then a knock-on effect onto your technique and so as you were giving us an intro rob um you struck a chord because you were saying not everyone is we shouldn't really be approaching this as we're trying to race the swim in triathlon and i totally agree with you and the kind of takeaway i got from that was let's maybe reframe it and not think about i really want to be a fast swimmer which I think is a lot of the mentality that we have, especially from bike and run. But if we can approach the swimmers, I want to be the most efficient swimmer that I can be to protect my bike and run, I think is kind of the first stepping stone towards um, aligning our efforts towards being a better triathlete. And so don't think I want to be a fast swimmer. You want to be an efficient swimmer, and therefore, what are the steps to becoming an efficient swimmer? And hey, guess what? If I'm an efficient swimmer, that will soon translate into being a faster swimmer. Yeah, 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 totally. What was what was your experience of coming into swimming then? How long did it take you to go from someone who someone who was a good bike runner, but who essentially, I mean, we were the same, weren't we? When we started, we we couldn't swim 25 meters literally, and to get from that point to even for me, the big challenge was like, okay, I'm, I've entered this pool sprint. I wonder if they'll let me put my feet down at the end of a hundred <laughs> meters and have a little rest. I mean, up until about two weeks before the first race day, that was me being thoroughly convinced. I was just going to have to do that. Even if it involved putting my feet down and kind of bobbing in the shallow end five <laughs> or 10 seconds, I was going to have to do that. And lo and behold, in the week before it happened, I managed to string together a continuous 400 for the first time ever. But the mindset of going from, it had never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to complete a run or wouldn't be able to complete a bike. But it was this very real challenge of not being able to complete something that was sort of eight minutes long, essentially. Mm. Oh, yeah, very similar position for me. Um, and I remember I was reading all the triathlon books out there to how to become a better swimmer. And I remember one of the first chapters was set a benchmark, set a test baseline. And so I read about this CSS test and I was like, oh, brilliant. I'll do that. I, I couldn't complete my first CSS test because I can't, I can't swim a continuous 400. Yeah. So, you know, as you were talking, I was laughing and I'm certainly not laughing at anyone that's in that position. I'm laughing because it's bringing back some pretty haunting memories of me thinking I was a fit mid-20s guy 
aiming to hopefully one day get on the island of Hawaii to race some of the best athletes in the world. And the reality was that I was in the kind of slow granny lane there doing aqua jogging and I'm absolutely fighting my absolute hardest to do a 400 and not being able to do it. So yeah, yeah it's, um, it's pretty sobering, isn't it? When you, you, you kind of, you're back to square one and it's incredibly daunting to think that you can't do that in the pool and then you think about doing that on race day with however many hundred or thousand athletes around you trying to get around one boy and yeah it's not surprising that swimming is the biggest barrier to triathlon um but that's also why triathlon's so beautiful because it attracts all of us from different backgrounds and some of us may have never biked before some of us have rarely run but when it comes to swimming a lot of us are in the same boat and we we all find a way it takes Mm -hmm. patience and it takes technique and it takes a lot of planning but if you are excited by the idea of improving your swim then you will get there deeply satisfying was my was my experience that sums up i think i found it to be letting go of the idea of doing hard work going in initially i went in and i would look at swim sets that had eight by 25 or eight by 50 and in my head they immediately became the same as a set would be on the running track okay i understand this i do 50 meters and then have a rest and i do another 50 meters but the first thing i couldn't understand was how am i so out of breath after 50 meters that it's not taking the you know, the, the typical swim set that had a five second or a 10 second break at the end of it before going again, I needed two minutes because I was approaching the the 50 meter rep as if it was a 400 on the track. It was a full on effort. And that's the first thing I think that I misunderstood was the, the gap was there to give me a little break to let the muscles recover, not so that I could go absolutely flat out in training and try and and try and have a real sort of aerobic interval session. So if someone's listening in that position, I think that's the first thing to accept. Your swimming has to be a process of learning a skill rather than trying to train a physical attribute. It's not a fitness event initially, at least. It's a skill acquisition event. And almost the less hard you try, the more rewarding that's going to be for you in the early days, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think there's an element of... um and I've put myself in this category, but people trying to run before they can walk in swimming. So if you look at a fairly novice swimmer who's on their triathlon pathway, look at them during their warm-up. And if they're heavy breathing at the end of their warm-up or they're, you know, they come to the end of their 25 meters and they're doing a big gasp until they push off again, that's showing them that they're their biggest barrier for sure is their technique because any warm up should be very easy on the aerobic system to start with and you should be able to swim a really nice consistent 100 meters 200 meters and at the point where actually that warm up is turning into a bit of an interval set because you're just trying to get through it you can kind yeah. of forget the interval that's for the now. flag isn't it that's yeah. the red flag right there yeah totally so it's again it comes back to that efficiency and so start with your warm up by making sure that that's a really nice, um, consistent, smooth process within your swimming. And don't don't worry about the times. Don't worry about the clock. It has to be technique and it has to be about efficiency and lowering the stress on your aerobic system in that phase. Yeah. 
Good. Well, if that if the listener is is nodding along with this and saying, okay, great, well, hopefully we will have some answers for you in this episode today about how we can get you from the position that you're in that we were both in and into the into the better position. Before we go on though, Chris, just give us give us some numbers from going from not being able to complete a hundred meters when you first started swimming. What did you get yourself down to over the Ironman distance over a period of and, and what period of time? Um so my best swims, which actually became fairly consistent in the open water, um, by the end was around the 57 minute mark. Um, but again, I don't want to fall into the trap of talking about fast swim times. It's, I, I, I feel as if I could have gone faster and, uh, you know, 55 on the clock, I think was realistic, but I soon found out that at what cost, and that was a big cost in terms of efficiency and the physical output. So therefore I was quite happy with that 57, 58 kind of average for an Ironman swim, but I was turning up to the pool, you know, four or five times a week with the objective of becoming more efficient to produce that time as opposed to lowering that time. And I played around with that, you know, I was doing some massive interval sessions some big swim mileage, but actually my biggest limiter again was how efficient I could be. And Mm. to answer that, it was going to be through more drills and easy swimming versus, you know, I was part of swim clubs and they thrashed themselves. They, they swim really hard on a threshold set, a VO2 set, big distance set, all within a matter of a few days. And actually aerobically, yeah, maybe that was complementing my overall triathlon package. But at the end of the day, I wasn't able to translate that into my race day. So I think that's the kind of first takeaway is approach your swimming with, okay, I might be a two minute per hundred swimmer right now. How do I make sure that I can stick to that 200 side to that two minutes per hundred, but at a less physical cost. And that's the first step towards your time actually slowly, but surely coming down, which is, you know, it's a bit of a mindset shift, isn't it? Well, I think we'll, we'll go into that in a bit more detail later on, but firstly, how long did it take you to go from 50 meter swimmer to swim in a 57 minute Ironman what was the time frame that took you over um after three years I three years yeah three years well that's a really good number for people to have in the head because it shows what's possible in terms of like okay so you can't swim right now but we now have an example of someone who who can do that in a three-year period my numbers are going from not being able to swim 50 meters to doing my first half Ironman and then an Ironman six months later in a period of about a year to go from not being able to swim. And I was probably in my first Ironman, I think I swam about 70 minutes. So it just shows people that if you are already from like a relatively fit background, you can, you know, the progression can be really fast because it's not the fitness making it or the, not the lack of fitness making it impossible in the early days. It's just learning to apply some force and technique to the water. So if you've got your Ironman coming up in six months or a year, we feel you. Okay. I got there in a year. Chris got to Kona level in three years. So that puts a kind of what's possible framework on it, I think, to start with, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Good. Right. Should we kick off then with where we were up to? Yeah. So I think if we refer back to your first kind of 
um, main barrier that you highlighted, which was we want to make sure that all the swimmers that we help get to that start line in a relaxed, confident, calm way. So how do we make sure that our athletes and any other athletes that are listening, what tips can they actually go away with today, knowing that on race day, they're feeling confident and calm? Yeah, 100%. I think the first thing that this comes down to for all beginners and a lot of a lot of swimmers who we describe as intermediate to advanced swimmers, confident, competent age groupers, the first thing it comes down to is actually breathing. And especially for our beginners who find that they're in that position of being out of breath after 25 minutes, really, really sucking the air in after only swimming for 25, 50 meters. I know that was my challenge. I reckon it was probably your challenge in the early days as well. What we see is that the athlete is simply not breathing out into the water as they're turning the head to the side, they're trying to breathe out and in at the same time. And so that's the first thing for beginners to accept is you don't even have to be doing any swimming to get better at breathing. You can practice this in the shallow end of your pool on a quiet day and simply take a breath, duck down under the water, blow your breath out, come back up to breathe, breathe in duck back under, blow it out again. And it sounds really, really simple. It is really, really simple, but often people don't want to do the simple stuff for the fear of looking silly in front of people. So if you're listening and you're a beginner and that's you, you're a fit runner or cyclist and you can't swim, it's the breathing exercises is the place we start with. And even like back in the day, helping Matt Bottrell start triathlon, that's where I started with him. And he, I remember we had a laugh afterwards. He was saying like, I can swim a bit. I'm, I can, I can do this. But he saw the value afterwards and, oh, okay. Right. So we're really embedding this mindset of real calm, blowing out our breath into the water and really calmly breathing in with our head out. That can just revolutionize a swimmer right from the off. Yeah, totally. I, I actually went through a phase of doing that, um, the exact kind of drill that you were just talking about, and I'd do it in the deep end, and I'd exhale underwater, I'd drop all the way down to the bottom of the pool, cross my legs at the bottom of the pool, exhale, and then come back up, and I'd integrate it as part of my warm-up and cool-down. And you feel silly for the first few, but actually, other swimmers know what you're doing. We're all in the same boat. Right. And you know, if you do that week on week on week, after a month, that is going to feel totally natural. But what's really hard is being strong enough mentally to, ah, uh, I'll skip that bit. I'll just get onto the main set. Don't skip it. Take a piece out of the main set if, you, if you're stuck on time and put this bit in, especially this time of year is the perfect time to do it. And it doesn't take long, you know, a couple of minutes on each swim session where you can do that. It's going to go, yeah, really long way. Mm. And typically it's a real challenge for athletes who come into club swimming sessions and want to get in a lane and are competitive mentally, a type A personalities. They don't want to go down a lane into a perceived lower ability of athlete. Mm. I'm picturing so many athletes I've coached in pool deck over the years who they're almost like a type that arrives and you go, okay, you're going to want to be in lane two, but I'm going to ask you to be in lane four because the challenge is not how fit you are. You're obviously 8% body fat and you can obviously run a 36 minute 10K. The challenge is that we've got to get you to be able to be confident breathing out into the water first. And that's not going to happen if you're under pressure swimming a set and meeting turnarounds and things. So mm. I really can't stress that enough. If we can get people calm and confident breathing out into the water that's the basis of everything else and we can then we can then work on being confident breathing in with our head 
tucked in and turned to the side, can't we? Yeah, totally. And have the confidence in your training plan that you're getting enough hard aerobic training through your bike and your run training. The pool is not the time to do it, especially this time of year. You've got your biggest limiter, which is going to be something within your technique. Focus on that right now. And actually, you know, you can feel good about not thrashing yourself on every pool session. This is the time to focus on your limiter, focus on your breathing, which I think is probably going to be the biggest limiter to a lot of the athletes we're talking to right now. Mm. And just focus on that for four to six weeks and see where you come out. And the likelihood is that you're going to, you're going to shoot up in efficiency. Yeah. I was amazed the first time I took um, an underwater camera to the pool and filmed athletes swimming by how many people, even in lane one, guys and girls who were mid fifties, Ironman swimmers were not breathing out at all into the water and pointing that out to them was a massive challenge because obviously they're already very, very good swimmers, but the le- the level was, we can make you better. There's no question. It's not about making you try harder or work harder. It's just changing this technique. It was very, very interesting. And mm. something that if anyone's watching this or listening and, and hasn't seen this, go do a search for uh, the swim smooth videos that they talk about their uh, underwater duck down brill, uh, drill breathing exercises. Really simple, but really effective. And there's a reason that they start from that point forward. It, it is the basis much more so than the S-shaped pull and body position mm. and things. So that's great. I think we've we've got that across, hopefully, that for everybody, breathing is the source, or breathing badly, I think, is the source of all anxiety. That feeling of having not enough carbon dioxide in your bloodstream because you're hyperventilating effectively, that is a massive contributor to people feeling anxiety and panic in the water. And so the breathing is the first place to start if you're a person who has worries around the swim, even more than, you know, people I've worked with have said, I've been to a psychologist and a psychiatrist to work this through. Often it's a physical reaction to a physical problem rather than a psychological thing. So I think that's the first place to start. Perfect. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Okay. So once we've worked on our breathing and we've learned to both breathe out under the water and we've learned to breathe in calmly, and and in a relaxed manner and we're really comfortable and confident that we can get the air in and we can get the air out. The next thing I want to advise people to do is to start to work on being able to breathe on both sides or bilaterally. We'll describe this. Now, everyone hates me when I make them do this as a beginner because it's almost like, well, I can do it on this side. So why should I bother? I'd encourage beginners, especially to learn to try and do it right from the off, because while you're learning, you may as well learn on both sides, because being able to breathe bilaterally will be great for evening out your stroke. It'll help you iron out any potential flaws in the future. It's also great for race day if you need to breathe to one side or the other deliberately because there are waves or the sun rises in one direction or whatever super super interesting and important way to develop your swimming isn't it i know that um this is the exact point in the podcast if i was a listener that i'd skip on to the next section <laughs> because i yeah. think this this is not for me this is for either the real beginner swimmer or whatever i'm swimming fine on one side and i might be different i feel different but this is i'm talking to myself you need to be listening to this point because we all skip it it's so so important and the amount of times and actually you know i still suffer with slight impingement in my right shoulder and i'm sure it's because i was a one-sided breather for the majority of my swimming and my 
swimming would have benefited massively if from the start I actually put the time and suffered through those sessions and the warm-ups and cool-downs and focus on my bilateral breathing and I didn't and it's it's one of my big regrets um and you look at all the kind of most efficient swimmers within the sport on race day they might be mostly leaning towards one side but that doesn't mean that they're not comfortable bilateral swimmers and you have to have that to be able to iron out your biggest limiters so yeah i can't stress how important enough to to at least be able to do it and you should be able to integrate it into your warm and cool down for a start when you get to race day you know the majority can be lent towards one side personally i'm happy with that are you happy with that rob or yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i think race day is a kind of separate thing but it's mm. the it's the embedding of a of a balanced two-sided technique in training that means you know ideally people can then choose to breathe either side if they want to look around them and see what's going on and if they are more comfortable which i think everybody is everyone's got a favored mm. side obviously it's going to tend to that on race day but the ability to do it in training i remember i made personally speaking my biggest leap forward as a swimmer when a coach set me the task of doing a weekly 500 meters bilateral and what i found was it it limited how hard i could try because i could only breathe every three strokes if i if i tried to go a bit harder and, and i was tending into that well now i need to breathe every stroke i had to back the pace off and it made me it was like a light bulb moment of oh okay this is like the this is like the natural limit of how fast you can swim bilaterally. Let's see if you can get faster swimming bilaterally by exactly as you said, by being more efficient, by having better technique rather than trying hard. Because at some point when you try harder, there's that there's that kick into, okay, now I need to breathe more frequently and it has to be on this side. It was really interesting. And I've still got written down somewhere. I think it was a seven-week progression of my times going down from like nine minutes 30 for 500 meters down to, I think down to close to seven minutes over a seven week period, but all of it being rigidly bilateral. And it was like a marker of almost like a sub-maximal time trial, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. like, okay, you're not trying any harder, but you're getting more efficient at doing this. It was a real, it was a real interesting learning point. And I really felt it moved me forward as a swimmer. Yeah, totally. That's really interesting. Um, and when I think back about when bilateral breathing helped me, the amount of times I had to use it in a race, not because I felt the need, but because it was going to help me be a more efficient swimmer at the time. So, yeah. you know, if one of our main objectives in the open water is to draft, to draft a swimmer that's slightly quicker than you at the time, how are you going to find those feet if you can only see 50% of the people, 50% of your environment? So I was always checking to my left every so often to see if there are a better pair of feet to follow, or actually we're probably deviating off course and exactly. it's time to, to go yeah. left. And if we're talking about efficiency being our key word from this podcast, being able to bilaterally breathe on your own terms at your own speed and time that is definitely going to help you get from a to b as efficiently as possible so if you know if you're questioning whether it's worth putting in the effort to becoming a bilateral swimmer think about on race day you suddenly get a whole menu of feet to pick on of which you're going to draft as opposed to only 50 percent of your vision so 
Yeah, and we I think we've got examples of that, even with one of our athletes, David, who managed to qualify for Kona. That was one of his big takeaways. That, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he, he was a good swimmer, but he managed to turn being a good swimmer into a really efficient and one with race craft. And how can you get that race craft? Well, you've got to have the whole vision you've got to be able to see what's going on around you and so he's actively picking on which feet he wants to follow as opposed to being restricted to the ones that are just in front of you yeah 100 percent. and it also goes back to what we said about being a confident and calm swimmer if you've got the ability to look either side of you as you're swimming if you've got the ability to pick out what's going on if you end up, as we all do it sometimes surrounded by a couple of people in a little group and you don't feel comfortable and confident if you can see that over to the left or over to the right, there's a little bit more space. It just gives you more of a sense of confidence in the water rather than a sense of impending, mm. you know, the situation's going on and I don't have control around this. And that, I think, pays dividends for athletes no matter how fast they are in the water, whether you're swimming 150 or 50 minutes having that ability to feel more comfortable and confident in the, the environment you're in is going to lead to a better overall experience for sure. So I'm going to put you on the spot at this point. Um, we're telling the athletes that it's crucial to be a bilateral swimmer. How do they do it? How do you in ingrain it? I think it's just about making yourself do it in your relaxed swim sets as often as you can. And one of the tips I've used with athletes is dead, dead simple. It's, if you have a preferred side and a, let's call it a, a weaker side for the sake of being really clear what's going on, when an athlete does a push and glide off the wall, take the breath on your weaker side as you break out of the swim, mm. because that's always the point where you can apply stress and there's kind of lower consequences there. It's that one breath every length. If that's all you get in to start with, great. But if you don't get a very good one, it's going to be a pretty poor start to your length. And so in a way, it really makes you focus on, okay, I know what's happening. I'm pushing and gliding off the wall. I'm taking that one stroke and turning my head. It's kind of not high consequences, but it's a, it's a nice little regular break in their swim. So I'd go with that. I'd go with a push off the wall each time. What about you? How would you, how would you do that? Um, I definitely did what you suggested. Um, another one that um help me get that breakthrough was i'd do 25 meters um just lying on one side so arm in front and you're you're rotating your trunk to the side that you're breathing and that's going to feel really comfortable on your natural breathing side but on the second 25 when you're coming back you don't have a choice you're you've got to do it on the opposite side and so that's just going to give your time it's going to give you time to work out getting your face in the water rotating your neck creating that little wave where you can actually exhale in and intake the uh, the oxygen at that point and you don't have to worry too much because you're not um worried about your cadence of uh your catch and you know your stroke rate all these things that that they're put aside because you're not actually yeah. doing a full stroke and just being comfortable on that non-comfortable side and just lying there and you just do a little flutter kick it doesn't have to be a crazy kick and again it's all coming back to efficiency and uh, that body position and slowly but surely that's the thing that really was kind of the breakthrough moment for me because when mm. I knew that I could do a really 
confident, comfortable 25 meters on my weaker side, then I knew that I could slowly start integrating it as part of a full stroke. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's almost like a an ad- adaptation of a 636 drill, but only yes. breathing on your weaker side. Exactly. Yeah. And again, just to stress to everybody, make life as easy on yourself as you can at this point, as you're learning to breathe on your weaker side by not going hard. The more relaxed you can be, the slower you can do this, the less the less you need to breathe effectively, the more easier it's going to be to embed that technique. And I think the reason the push and glide off the wall works so well is that that's the point an athlete's velocity through the water is going to be the highest. And so that's the chance they're going to have of the, if you like, the more defined bow wave for them to breathe into without needing to kind of think about it too much later on in the stroke. So yeah, so drill it in first introduce it during a a push and glide off the wall and then the next step i think is to try and introduce one offside breath in the middle of a length as you get to that yeah i'm getting quite excited the athletes just talking about this i'm such a geek chris i I love this the the way of unpicking a sport and breaking it down into a way you can pick up the new skills i think it's awesome yeah and i think a massive takeaway is you know, I keep, I think I'm repeating myself by saying integrate it. And what I mean by that is not just doing it, you know, on your easy Monday swim. I'm talking about integrating it every time you get to the pool. It's being integrated into that swim set, into the warm up or the cool down. And you have to do it little and often. And, you know, doing one massive technique set a week is not the way to go. It's every time you turn up to the pool, force yourself to do that uncomfortable drill, force yourself to bilateral breathe, force yourself to do, you know, five drop downs into the deep end when you're exhaling underwater. And it feels silly for the first few times, but if you keep doing it, you will be that front pack swimmer that you dream of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Chris, even if people don't get to be front pack swimmers, as long as they become confident swimmers, Mm. and the, the big payback for me has always been the person who thinks they can't do the triathlon because they're ridden with anxiety, whether they're a fast swimmer or a slow swimmer, Mm. the people who think I can't do this, the people who don't enjoy swimming. If if you can get a light to go on in them and go, actually, I've just realized them, you know, type A personalities are brilliant for this because all of a sudden they get a new challenge and they don't allow themselves to go, I'm not very good at this. And that's my excuse. It becomes a, okay, I'm not very good at this now. How am I going to break it down to a point where I can get better at this and break the challenge down into little chunks? Yeah, this goes back to, and it was something that um, our athlete, David, who ended up in uh, Hawaii, one of his big breakthroughs was actually nothing to do with him being in the water. It was the mindset and his approach to turning up to that pool or that open water event. And he approached it with a sense of, confidence being proud he knows he can do the distance he knows he can do well he knows he's been working on the drills that are going to help him get from a to b as efficient as possible and there was definitely a narrative shift of i'm a terrible swimmer but i love getting on the bike and i'm a good runner off the bike so actually no i'm a developing swimmer i'm working on that i'm confident with the process i'm going through i'm supported by my coaches and i'm doing everything that my swim set saying plus i'm doing extras in terms of all the drills then if you turn up to the shore with that mindset 
that confidence is going to translate into a relaxed, confident stroke that you can actually perform not only for the first hundred meters of that swim, but for the duration of the swim. So, you know, uh, we've had many conversations with many athletes over the, over the last few months where there's this negative spin on our swimming because we're triathletes and we're good on the bike and we're good on the run, but actually we just do the swim because we have to, to do a triathlon, try and try and drop that if you can and approach it as a developing strong swimmer that's got plenty to work on but the point is you're working on it. So just with that process, you are a strong swimmer and you've got to approach it with a positive mental attitude because it once it's a negative, it's, you're not gonna, you, you're already creating this glass ceiling above, above your head and it's really hard to break through that. Yeah. So yeah, if you can turn up to the pool, really confident, excited, and you believe in the process that you're going through, that's already a, a big gain, I think. Yeah. Totally agree. The more the more athletes we can have in a mindset of, do you know what? I might I might never have looked forward to this in the past, but this has become a challenge I've set myself and I've applied myself to. And let's go out there and see what difference it's made. Mm. And you can Brilliant. do it. We all yeah. think we can't do it. We all think that we're an anomaly and that actually everyone else is getting better, but I'm not. That's not the case. You are one of those people that can get better. You just have to fully commit to a process that you believe in. And if you haven't quite found that process that you believe in, then keep searching and you know reach out to your coach, reach out to us if um, you know, you're know you not part of Team Oxygen Addict yet and ask and talk to other athletes and you will find a solution and not everyone has the same solution and that's okay but you've got to um you've got to keep searching mm. and I think it also Chris goes a long way to even acknowledge the fact that a lot of people who do triathlons don't enjoy the swim don't think of themselves as swimmers are a little bit afraid of the swim because if someone is listening, who's new to the sport or new to 70.3 or new to Ironman, I think there is this perception. If you go to a club swim, it tends to be people who are good at swimming, who go to club swims. And so you very quickly get this impression that I remember going to Manchester tri club to their swim at the, the Commonwealth center in Manchester, 50 meter pool. Everybody seemed to be built like an Adonis. Everybody was a fantastic swimmer. I remember thinking, well, there were 20 odd people at this swim, all 500 members of Manchester Tri Club must be borderline Commonwealth game standard swimmers. Mm. And it was years later I made this, this realization that the other, whatever it is, 450 of them that weren't there were just like me, were terrified of going, I can't dive off the off the Olympic standard blocks into the water. I couldn't do that. But that's not the reality for most people who want to do a triathlon. The reality of the the level of swimming, I think, is a lot lower than outsiders assume that it is. And the biggest part of it is your mindset toward being willing to have that growth mindset and have that growth physicality to learn to do a new skill differently. Totally. Yeah. So here's my question to you, Rob. Mm. Um, you've got a listener who's going to be integrating all these drills and techniques and confidence mental aspects to their swimming how often should they be swimming so the answer is it depends it's a it's a bit of a cop-out answer but it's also a very important variety answer as well i think if someone is coming into the sport who can already swim really confidently they're not going to have to swim as often or as much as somebody 
who is not from a swimming background and who their biggest limiter is. I don't know even know if I can swim 50 meters yet. If we're talking about that kind of athlete who's coming in, I think a real good ballpark is to aim to get into the water three times a week. Now, you don't have to aim to get in the water for an hour three times a week. I literally mean to get into the water three times a week. So for most people, that might look like one structured session with a club or from a coach or that you've got from somewhere and two other extra sessions that might only be 15 minutes long, but that are focusing on the things that are holding you back. In the early days, it's going to be breathing. Then it's going to be specific drills that help with whatever part of your swim stroke need work on. But I think three times a week is a really good number that allows people to start to feel like, do you know what? I'm in the water really regularly here and I'm starting to get comfortable with it. And that's a big thing in the early days. If athletes can combine a bit of a swim with a a bike session at the gym or a run session at the treadmill or just having that ability to get in three times, I think can really help beginners out in the early days. Totally agree. And I think, um, and I hope you agree on this one, which is, three 20-minute swims is going to be better than one big one-hour swim on a Friday. Yeah. It's, yeah, turning up to the pool is kind of half the battle. And if you can keep turning up to the pool, your swimming is going to get more efficient and better. Whereas if you turn up for just one big session a week, you're not going to be able to hold the perfect technique for that whole hour because you're not turning up to the swim enough times in a week. So actually doing three twenty swim three twenty minute swims a week is going to go much, much further in your swim development. Yeah. It's always this big challenge, isn't it? Because especially with Ironman training and 70.3 <clears throat> to a slightly lesser extent, there's so much other training going on that when we're looking at an athlete's ability to improve across the entire triathlon, the swim's less than 10% of the event in in terms of time. So balancing their available training time with like, you know, in the ideal world, we'd all have a pool in our back garden, wouldn't we? And just be able to jump in and a, and a 20 minute swim takes 22 minutes, but it's the trying to balance getting there during the week. But I think absolutely in an ideal world, if an athlete can do that, if you can stop off somewhere on the way home or get in a pool for a lunchtime swim for 20 minutes, that can be brilliant. And it is worth doing. That's the mm. thing. It is worth, it is going to make a difference to your feel for the water if you have the opportunity. But it's balancing that against, well, if you need to get up at five o'clock in the morning anyway in the wintertime and it means a 4.30 get up, well, there's going to be different considerations around balancing the overall life stress, I think, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, And at this point, I think I can basically hear um, the athletes that we work with asking questions because I've been talking to them a lot over the past few weeks and I feel that a lot of the, the, there are recurring themes and to have you answer some of their questions um, I think is going to be a great takeaway so I'll tell you what before we do that yeah I think what we should do we'll break this into two episodes okay and we'll record all of those for next okay. week into that one because we've done what we always do here we've Got ended over. up <laughs> we've ended up going longer than we planned anyway so let's wrap the second half of what we planned in for part two of this which will come out in another week's time we'll have a second episode up on youtube with all those things in but we'll cover all of the athletes comments and we'll also cover how to specifically train 
So we've gone through the how to learn to be a swimmer part. We'll cover the how to specifically train and break down some of our training sessions in the next episode as well. We'll make it a two-parter. Perfect. So for the athletes listening, what are the actual tangible take takeaways that you'd hope that they've got from uh, from this session, Rob? I think the most important thing is no matter what speed of swimmer you are, the key thing for success on race day is going to be how calm and how confident you can be in the water. And those things you can build up no matter how fast you are and no matter how fit you are. If you can go in feeling calm and confident in the water, then you are more than halfway there to the challenge of doing a swim well enough to get you through your race. And that goes for people who are fighting the cutoff all the way through to people who are swimming fast enough to potentially be qualifying for the world champs or Kona. With that being said, it might be worth for some athletes listening to when they record their swim sessions. So let's say they've been doing 10 times 100, for example. Don't just record the times that you put per 100. Put a narrative of how it felt. And as the weeks go on, hopefully that's going to go from the first five felt comfortable. But then from five to 10, I was a little bit panicky and my arms started flapping because of the panic. Hopefully as the weeks go on, that feeling calm and efficient narrative is going to extend into further into the swim. And that's what you're looking for. So don't just look at swim times, look at the narrative and the kind of physical energy and output that you feel for the same amount of speed. Yeah, you're dead right. That's a real big part of it. The number on the clock only tells part of the story, doesn't it? Absolutely. Right. Well, we'll wrap this up here for this week then. Yeah, well, I've really enjoyed that. And I think we've kind of uh, opened a slight can of worms because there's so much to go out in swimming. So, yeah, I think we'll be back with more questions and answers on this one. Yeah, good. Looking forward to part two. And that just about brings us to the end of this week's episode. So some discount codes and deals for you. PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. You can use the code OA23 for 15% off your first electrolyte and fuel order. And remember, TeamOxygenetic.com. We've got the most comprehensive endurance sports coaching program for busy age groupers out there. You can book a call with me to see if you'd be a good fit for joining the team. The link's in the show notes. Let's see how we can best help you achieve your endurance goals in 2023. So links in the show notes so you don't have to remember them. And until next week, have a great, safe training and racing week. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygen Addict Podcast. See ya.